Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Other 14 podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. And all 38 games are done and dusted. The 2022-23 Premier League season comes to a close. With a final game week with plenty of drama, we have a lot to discuss this game week, both the highs and the lows for the Other 14. This week, as always, we're joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hello, Tom. Um, Tom, we've had 38 game weeks of Premier League football now. How are you feeling about the outcome of the Premier League season? I think it's been a great season for our other 14 contingent. I think the fact that we have, what, Newcastle, Brighton, Villa in Europe, I think is a great great sort of nod for the other four team we have West Ham who are currently preparing themselves for a Europa conference uh Europe is it Europa Europa it's Europa Conference League it's Europa, it's such uh, a big Europa tournament Com- people don't know how yeah. to say it exactly it's just it's a, it's a mind bender um the Europa Conference League final in Prague uh coming up in uh about what a week and a bit um and yeah we've lost we've lost a couple of uh, lost a couple of teams as per usual for sort of relegation we didn't lose chelsea unfortunately um but i i think it's been a season of great memories um and i think from a personal standpoint i'm just glad that the season is over because obviously my my team um oh, we don't care about that on, on, on big Europe. but it doesn't matter because no, we have Newcastle, Brighton and Villa and in europe i think you're right i think looking at um we could, in theory, next season have a third of the... Well, just, just under a third of the other four... No. Yeah, about a, a third of the other 14 in Europe. Yeah, sort of is, rough mass. Yeah, it, it's quite a nice thought, actually. Um, and we'll see how they all get on in their, their European endeavours. Um, but first things first, before we talk more about the game week, over to Tom with the classified results for the game week. And here are the classified results for match week 38 of the Premier League 22-23 season. 5, Wolverhampton Wanderers, 0. Aston Villa, 2. Brighton and Hove Albion, 1. Brentford, 1, 0. 1, Newcastle United, 1. Crystal Palace, 1. Nottingham Forest, 1. Everton, 1. FC Bournemouth, 0. Leeds United 1, 4. Leicester City 2, West Ham United 1, 2. Fulham 1, Southampton 4, 4. Well, we're going to talk about relegated teams and the relegation fight, which obviously went down to game week 38. But because we won't break, because we won't be talking about them for a while um, now they've been relegated, just a quick mention. Southampton 4, Liverpool 4. What a, what a stupid game that is! You, you always got like a, you always have like one game in the final week of the season where it's just everything, just anything happens. Um, I mean, you, you'll throw back a couple of years ago. What was it? Fergie's last ever game that was five all against West Brom. Yes, it's just had that sort of end of season sort of vibes where just like teams are like, sod it, we'll just we'll just play. I I, I do get that, but it for me just seeing the fact that Southampton scored four in a game and they got a point. Obviously, very much yep. too little, too late. But um, that was one of the results of the game week that really surprised me quite significantly. Um, going into this game week, 
there were three teams all vying for that one survival space, looking at that 17th space in the Premier League with 18th and 19th in the relegation zone calling. Going into the game week, Everton had full control as they knew a win would see them safe. And at that point, it was out of both Leeds and Leicester's hands. Um, Tom, it was quite the exciting game week. Seeing Leicester uh, initially go up against West Ham, while Everton were not winning at home to Bournemouth, it was looking like both Leeds and Everton were going to be going down, but ultimately it didn't end there. Um, Abdullah Decore with a winner for Everton at Goodison Park saw Everton safe. Um, let's start with the team that survived before we go on to the relegated teams. Do Everton deserve this? In terms of safety? Do they, after all their years of mismanagement, poor transfers, poor appointments, don't you think that Everton deserve relegation to teach themselves a lesson at some point? I think it, I, if they I, continue I, again, like another season like this, they are gone. Oh, 100%. Like, we, that is the natural progression of things in the Premier League. If you do find yourself down, you, you know, you see sort of like season after season, points totals coming down, sort of find your sort of final position sort of on a on a decrease in trend, uh, which Everton have, Everton have done in the last sort of, what, five or six seasons now? Um, and then obviously last season survived relegation on the last day and then back to, yeah, and, and again this year surviving relegation on the last day. It is a bit of a downward trend. Um, and it, like we said, teams always eventually get caught out by relegation. Um, it's just it's just the way of, way of things happening. Um, Leicester has sort of been sort of caught out slightly. That There didn't seem to be that downward trend, but they've just had a poor season uh, regardless. But as, as far as Everton goes, I think just purely by the fact that you have a team of Everton's stature with a brand new 60,000 seat stadium going up on brand new dock um, and an owner who is, you know, a self-proclaimed billionaire uh, with total mismanagement nice. and, and fans pitch invading for the sake of the fact that you're safe. That I think to me... completely sort of throws out the whole, you know, just it loses the realism of the situation that your club's in. So um, I did I did hear on um it was one of the BBC Football Daily shows and they did have an Everton fan on the show and he very much said this was um I think this was the Monday before um so uh, before the final game week and he said it would be embarrassing if fans pitch invaded Everton shouldn't be aspiring to just survive, they should be pushing up the table. Yeah, and I think, I think in the top like seventy years, I think that's completely justified. If it was a case of Everton were operating on a Bournemouth budget year after year after year, and they just scrape through, but it's more of the case of, as you say, they've got an owner with a load of money, and the amount of money they have put in for such little return if like we talk about how much Everton has spent over recent years look at their squad who are the standout players in that squad that if if say Everton were to have been relegated who do you think they could have got any money for I think 
Pickford would go because he's England's number yeah. one. I think Decore would have probably been picked up by a mid-table team. A mid-table side, yeah. And like, then I think I think you're looking at then maybe someone would take a gamble on DCL because if he stays fit, then you can get yeah. something out of him. Other than that, where has all that money gone? Because oh, okay, mm. and they signed that young lad Onana, who's had a pretty okay season this season. But um, so they yeah, he's he not shot, but he, he, yeah. he hasn't he hasn't been there long enough to depreciate. But you think of all no. the money that they have spent, and there's maybe four players that you could see getting sold quickly for any substantial amount of money. That yeah. that to me is absolutely baffling. And yeah, Everton are. Oh, I wanted Everton to go purely for this to teach them a lesson. And uh, that may sound harsh, but I think the fact they survived on the final day just again is great for the fans. They get to see Premier League football next year. But I do think to almost an extent it's the owners can kid themselves and go, well, we're a Premier League team. We don't need to change what we're doing. We just need to wait for the stadium to come along and everything will be all right. Yeah, I I do think there is a sense that Sean Dyche will change the culture at Everton I just think he's that sort of person I mean you just take Frank Lampard and Sean Dyche and two different sort of um sort of make make comparison between the two Frank at the last game um of last season when Everton survived I can't remember who that but I think I had another home game um again another pitch invasion um but Frank was treating it like his greatest achievement of his managerial career it's his only um, achievement of his managerial and- career pretty much um and you know celebrating with the fans and he's sort of getting involved and all that then Sean Dyke's conversely this year is basically telling the fans to calm down um we've got a lot of work to do um and you know they're just trying to formulate a, a culture at the club whereby there's just some form of responsibility I think I think the fans or not the fans that the players from last sort of the last sort of seasons gone by have just been very much sort of like, well, you know, we'll, we'll get our pay packet, we'll, we'll go play. It doesn't matter if we win or lose or draw, it doesn't matter. We're just, you know, we're going to get paid at the end of the day. We just don't really care about Everton. Um, and it might seem harsh to, harsh to say, um, but I think what Deitch has brought in, and I, I when when Deitch came in at this, what was it, like October, November time, um, I sort of saw from the outset, I just felt there was something different with this sort of manager coming in. I, I felt that he would get something going out of the players. Um, and ultimately it's taken him until, yeah, the last sort of game week of the season. But I think that decision um, has proven dividends for the um, sort of, for the boards. And I think now it's just the time to just let Sean sort of just get on with it. Um, um, and try Sean, Sean Dyche was bought in a lot later than you thought. So he was bought in. Uh, in February, because his first game was February. Everton was Everton's one nil win over Arsenal. It was yeah, it was after the World Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, I was so, out of my head. It was before. So obviously, the one thing you can say the board did well this season was they got rid of Lampard and bought in Dyche because they were destined to go down with Frank. Yeah, I, I get that Dyche is the sort of manager that it will take a t- time to develop and change the situation, yeah. which I, I completely agree with. Sean Dyche will do a good job at Everton I believe but you know how 
I'm going to say it. I don't think Dice's approach to football is necessarily too different to the likes of Allardyce. And Allardyce kept Everton safe and then fans immediately wanted him out and chased him out of the club. I know that Allardyce's personality can be a tad more divisive than Sean Dyche's because yeah. Allardyce does almost like to wind people up while Sean Dyche is very that laid-back, chilled guy. But unless... If the Everton fans are going to suddenly be happy with Sean Dyche and Sean Dyche football in their new stadium then absolutely fine. But I just think that no matter what culture Sean Dyche implements in Everton, it's going to completely change in two to three seasons because that's what the fans will demand. Yeah, 100%. Um, They will be expecting some form of improvement next year. They They can't go through exactly the same because ultimately, like I said, that then leads to relegation. That's just basically just a, a, um, a guarantee. Um, I do think that it, it does feel a little bit different with Sean Deitch. Um, I think he's he's got the players on, on side, he's got the fans on the side. Um, and I do think there'll be a little bit of credit going into the following season. Right. Um, it It's, it's but- just whether or not he's... It, it, it really depends on the board. It yeah. really does depend on the board and what they sort of do during during the um, during the summer. It's one of those things, I guess, that you turn around and go, oh, Everton has spent loads of money and wasted loads of money and look at the squad that they've got. It's like, well, if they want to they avoid this... Squad. But what, exactly, if they want to avoid this situation again, they're going to need mm. to spend more money again. They're going to have to spend. Which it, and historically, they've not been good at spending money. Sean Dyche is more of a pragmatic manager when it comes to this yeah. sort of thing. Um but I'm just well, thinking... maybe they'll have to sort out their defence because news today is that obviously Cody's going back to Wolves and yeah, they're, they're not going to. Wolves. He has the yeah. They're not going to. That loan's now done and he's, he's returned back to Wolves. I wonder uh, I where that puts him. Move. I wonder where that puts him at Wolves. Whether Wolves do want him gone, gone. Because if so, if I, I was Lopetegui, I'd have him back. Pardon. If I was Lopetegui, I'd, I'd be desperate it's, to have him back. Exactly. If I was, well, I was the idiot other, for getting rid of him in the first place. If I was a lot of the teams in, well, it was a Bruno Larkin decision, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, they, they got they got rid of um, Connor Cody and signed Craig Dawson. Um. So, like, <laughs> Craig means more to me than Connor Cody, but you can see they're they're a similar sort of no nonsense defender, aren't they? Yeah. So it's just whether Lopetegui needs two of them now, or whether yeah. they Wolves think, oh, perhaps we can cash in on Cody. A little bit because Cody's much better than Everton have been this season. Um, yeah. He's been part of a woeful defence, but they they haven't really had much of a midfield in front of them to be able to sort like yeah. keep it out. So I think he would have his suitors immediately. Connor Cody, but yeah, their defence yeah. is what Tarkovsky, Michael Keane. Um, they've got that what Ukrainian lad. Can't remember his name. Oh, Mikolenko. Um, yeah, Mikolenko. Yeah, and then um, Seamus Coleman. Yeah. And they've got who's that? I'm going to say young centre back, but I feel he's been young for a couple of seasons now. So. Oh, Ben Godfrey. Ben Godfrey, yeah, yeah. Like if that that needs work because that's not keeping out enough goals. Yeah, um, the, and also there's a lot of questions to answer for Everton this year or this, also, this off season. Yeah, and also if you're looking at the likes of um, Tottenham potentially new, needs a new goalkeeper, well, I'd imagine Pickford would have his suitors. Likewise with Manchester United, yeah. they might be looking for a new keeper. Pickford's got that energy of a bit bigger club. I, I think guess. so. Quite a, it's going to be quite a strong keeper market. I think this summer. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what uh, see what happens because there's a lot of quality keepers, particularly in the other mm. fourteen. Um, so yeah, that's uh, but yeah, Everton um, just survived one nil win. 
Um, you could see when Decore scored, he didn't really want to celebrate that much and two right yeah. hits. Um, but as you say, the outcome is Everton are up. Pitch invasion was a shambles. Um, but their survival meant that we are saying goodbye to both Leicester and Leeds. Um, Leeds operated, uh, well, filling that 19th spot after a, well, I'm going to say disastrous loss. We kind of had a hope that they might be able to pull something out of the bag. But conceding in the second minute, uh, when it's a game where you need to win to stay in the Premier League at a minimum, you need other results to go your way, and you concede in the second minute, um, dreadful start, isn't it? And it's a dreadful start. Um, and it's, I mean, they were on a a run of form that basically consigned them to. To relegation anyway. Uh, I mean, they didn't. They haven't won since the beginning of April, yeah, uh, which was a two-one win against Forest. Well, um, one and then point they, in the last five is exactly. It's that's relegation form, and you know they've been sort of in and around the the lower halves of the bottom bottom table, the bottom part of the table for pretty much all season. Um, you know, you're talking about sort of shipping five to Palace, six to Liverpool. Um, they shipped four against Bournemouth. Um, obviously four against Spurs in the last game. It, it was just that the move to Allardyce ultimately did not work. That was a one sort of last sort of last throw of the dice, and uh, it it simply just wasn't wasn't to be. With with the appointment, they either needed to have done it much earlier or not at all. Um, well, Javi Gracia just made a, a, it. Didn't it didn't seem well, right? He got eleven points from eleven games, which yeah. is. Which is kind of survival form. You think that a point, yeah, point per game, thirty-eight points over a Premier League season. If it had been given those four more games um, at the end of the season, based on I know that obviously depends on the teams you play, but he would have, in theory, got three more points than Allardyce did, and then they still would have been relegated. But it would have been closer. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, But when you concede. Wow, seventy-eight goals. You're asking for trouble. You're you're like that is you are conceding most in the league. They scored they scored forty-eight, which is a respectably good effort that puts them in near the top half of the table for goals scored. But forty-eight conceded. You're always asking for trouble. Um, and just there, if you're conceding that many, I suppose the Bielsa approach that they obviously stood by for years was: if we just outscore the other team, then what is wrong? Um, yeah, but that doesn't really work when so final game of the season, you're at home, you have 19 shots, which you go, oh, that's quite good against a team like Tottenham. Two yeah. on target, one of which was a goal. Yeah, it's it's not good enough, unfortunately. Like they um, they've had dodgy transfer markets. They've built in a hodgepodge of players. They've ended up with. Like I, I really like the lad, but injuries and just his inability to finish hinders him. Patrick Bamford, I think, will never be a he. Okay, he had that one season where he did score a lot of goals. I'll give him that under Bielsa. Yeah, but, but how he, many chances did he have? Exactly, he and was basically shooting every other sort of like thirty seconds. Exactly. Well, now he's he's just not been able to convert and. Other than that, they've had Rodrigo, who had a really good, strong start to the season, um, but you yes. can't carry that by yourself necessarily. And particularly when none of your wingers or attacking midfielders are really picking up goals, they've had what 
their top goal scorers would have been Rodrigo and Jack Harrison. Jack Harrison. Um, Other than you've that, got these... who else is really putting in the work for Leeds? Um, Not really. I mean, you sort of the the players that Jesse might signed, the likes of Brendan Aronson, the um, was it Tyler uh, Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney's on loan. Those those moves just simply didn't work. Um, I find it it's one of the more hilarious things that have come out in the recent days. I think um, Weston McKenney's dad sort of basically said. Uh, oh, what was it? Um, all the best uh, to Leeds United on, on Twitter, but quote tweeting a, um, a tribute video for Harambe. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he basically said in the tweet, all the best to, I'm pretty sure this is uh, John McKenney on Twitter. I think it's Weston McKenney's dad basically saying all the best this to Leeds United. real. No, for those who supported Weston in a hostile environment, you have my respect. For those who failed to remember, it's a team sport. You live to fight another day. Quote tweeting seven years ago today, RIP Harambe. <laughs> it's real. Uh, I'm. That is. Wow. I didn't think Harambe <laughs> was coming up in this episode. So, um, well, um, yeah. So Leeds back in the drop, uh, well, being relegated, there's obviously uncertainty around their ownership. Um, they might have some American owners come in and try and buy. Um, and because uh, who's their current owner? Rat- Rodrizani? Is that their current owner? Um, Something like that, yeah. So they've got a big transfer window ahead. I think they've got a lot of players that will do very well in the championship. I think there's a chance that they'll be one of the stronger teams next season. Um, it's just whether yeah, I, mean, I think ultimately that's the championship side, and also financially whether. So I think they've got a lot of young talent as well that can develop. It's just whether they that's young talent that's prepared to play in the championship when they could get maybe yeah. moves to top leagues I, overseas. I think that's the thing. I think a lot of the players that March brought in, the, the names that I've already mentioned, I think will probably be gone. Um, I don't think they'll be playing in the championship. Um, come the start of 23-24. And I think one thing that Leeds, re- and we've talked about it, is that defensively, um, last season, they did improve slightly on, on last season. They conceded 79 goals last year, whereas they've conceded 78 this year. Oh, well, well done, one man. thing that's massively let, let them down, um, and I think it's something that needs to be addressed now, is their goalkeeping situation and the, obviously the defensive situation as well. I don't, you can't be having, and a, you know, calling out players, I don't like doing it, but the likes of Luke Hayley and, and Elan Melier, um in your sort of back five. See, I really like Luke Ayling, but he just... He's I not just a Premier League defender. Not in the system they've been played. Looking at their signings, who they signed in the summer, because they signed quite a lot... Well, throughout the year, they signed quite a lot. So, yeah, Brendan Aronson from Salzburg. Um, you'd imagine that he'll be on his way. 32 million euros on him. Yeah. Um, who is this? Jorginho Rutter from Hoffenheim, a striker. Did he get injured? Because he did play for a bit. Um, then Sinistera from Final, 25 million. Tyler Adams, Leipzig, 17 million. And then uh, Christensen, their right back, who's been okay, I guess. Who, But I think, to be honest, he seems, based on his Premier League performance, I'd say championship. Yeah. There's a lot of Nonto, I think, will be a player that would do, re- like, he's 18 years old. I think he'll do really well in the championship. Yeah, um, I, I think Leeds will try desperately to try and keep hold of him. Yeah, and then some of their, um, yeah, I, I, I think one of their good bringing, I think um, Yol Robles has uh, 
as their backup keeper or to replace Melia. I think he's pretty, I think he had a really good spell at Everton um, yeah. when it Robles when he was there. And I think he did um, he did well under Allardyce for these sort of last four games. Yeah. Um so. even though they had they have shipped goals, but I don't think there's there's a lot to be blamed on him. So so this Ruter guy made eleven appearances for Leeds and made one assist. Was he injured? Not in Ben. It's just on the bench a lot. How how can you sign a striker for twenty eight million and then not play him at all? But he's only twenty years old. So yeah, like once again, exactly. young talent that's been bought in. I yeah. wow, that's baffling to me that um that's how his season went. But yeah, anyway, um Leeds, I think they've got a good chance of potentially bouncing back. I think they've got a pretty good squad of young players. It's just whether they can keep them all together. And also they need to decide who their manager's going to be. Yeah, and I think probably I think will get them up. Of... Yeah. I think Allardyce will get them up, um, probably because he's quite Do good. Do you think Allardyce stays though? Well, I... firstly, I think they've only they've only does Allardyce want it. And right. also that is a real change from I know we've mentioned it for four games, but going from Bielsa to Allardyce as a complete style change yeah, is I, wild. Allardyce was only brought in to try and like basically tie up the defence, uh, make sure they're not conceding goals, and just on the odd occasion they might score a goal and you know nip, nab three points somewhere along the lines. And obviously that hasn't worked, but I think Leeds will revert back to sort of not Bielsa ball, but a more attacking sort of style uh, for the championship. I think it's definitely more suited for the championship. Um, I think naturally that championship sort of table has got weaker um, with the likes of Burnley, Sheffield United uh, and Luton uh, have been sort of coming up. There's still some strong seat, there's strong teams for next year. Um, but like you said, I, I do think Leeds go into that season sort of on a, with a little bit of hope, thinking that they can be one of the stronger sides that year. Yeah, it just depends. It'll depend on manager and what the squad. Well, of course, it depends on the manager and what squad there is available. But they've. Uh, it, it's going to be a long, a long season in the championship for them. Tom, in 2015-16 season, Leicester City absolutely shocked the sporting world by winning the Premier League title. I remember it well. They then had a period of sustained success with many European finishes top table finishes and an FA Cup in 22-23 they have been relegated from the Premier League quite fall from grace Tom this wasn't really a steady decline it's an absolute free fall from finishing top half the table last season to now being a championship side. What is there to make of this? It's quite the shock, isn't it? Um, I definitely had going into the season before a ball had even been kicked. If you were to come up to me and to, and we're going to say that Leicester were going to get relegated this year, I would just tell you you're absolutely barking mad. The Writing, though, sort of over the summer was sort of slightly on the wall, not in terms of relegation, but something was not quite right at Leicester by the fact that you sell your club captain. I think it was club captain at the time. It must have been Casper Schmeichel. Um, So effectively, you're number one. 
have no real plan as to who to replace him with. Danny Ward comes in, creates a whole a whole amount of issues at the back. There's no confidence in him. They swap him out for a bit. They bring him back in. He starts to play all right, but then it, it just sort of falls falls to pieces yet again. Um, and I think they didn't really make any permanent signings over the summer. Um, I can't really remember anyone um, note. Vote phase. Ah, yes, the um, the the own goal machine that is vote Fez. Um, um, let me just double check. I'm pretty sure he did actually score at the weekend. Might I add, but he did. It was a good goal at the right end this time. Yeah, it was a good goal against a team that didn't care. So they signed. Yeah, they signed Faze for 17 million from Sad Rame. They signed Ah oh, Harry Suter from Stoke. That was a January. Australia. That was a January yeah, signing. January. And then they signed a left back called Victor Christ- Christensen. For 14 million from Copenhagen. I think he did start a little bit as well. And then I... they also got Alex Smith. He's a goalkeeper on loan from Cardiff, but he's not played at all. And yeah. then a right winger from Shakhtar called Tete. I can. This is according to Transfer. Tete did Marks. play. Tete did, did not... play. Did it? Oh, he scored. He played, made he 13 scored appearances. Sco- yeah. and scored one goal. Yeah, Tete has played a few bits. Um, and it did actually play okay, to be fair, when Leicester was sort of going through like a, an okay patch. But ultimately, it's it's not the sign of a of a team that you know you just missed out on on Europe yet again um, uh, last season. So you want to be trying to go back to sort of kicking yourself up the table again uh, and proving that you're still worthy of of European sort of football. But there was just there was nothing sort of interesting about the signings that they were making. They were losing players left, right, and centre. Like just Schmeichel, the Wesley Fofana sort of transfer saga just eked on for weeks on end during the summer um, to finally then sort of happen. I think like a week before the window shut. It and I, I, even from that point, I thought, well, you know, Leicester will still have enough, but they they might not have a, a, a as good of a season that they were sort of hoping for. Um, but they've just, and I'll go into this a little later because I've got a stats corner on, on Leicester coming up. Um, their ability to concede goals and lose points from winning positions has just been the absolute downfall for them this year. Um, and ultimately, I think they, I think the decision to to cut their losses with Brendan happens too late. I think they uh, need to I make that either, decision. I think once again, like the Javi Gracia sacking, you either they've it's either been done too late or you don't do it at all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I can't remember exactly which point, um, but I think they gave uh, Dean Smith what like six or seven games to yeah, try and turn it around. Felt like about that, didn't it? Yeah. Um, and I mean, going into sort of Leicester's form to. At uh, the back end of the season, they didn't win. Um, their last win uh, in this Premier League season was a two-one win against Wolves, and then prior to that, they'd lost to City, they'd lost to Bournemouth, they'd lost to Villa, they lost to Palace. Um, they even managed to lost against Chelsea and Southampton. Um, so you know, it it was it was relegation form. There was no sort of signs of it turning around. Um, and also, what really sort of annoyed me um, was you're fighting for your lives at the bottom. The way they played, the way they set up against Newcastle um, a couple of weeks ago, 
But uh, yes I know they nearly won the game yes, right at the end yes, for a little and, and grab. Yes and no. If you try if that team tries and plays it hard against Newcastle, they don't get a single point. No, I know, but they ultimately did a point they in don't anything win that for game. them. No, it didn't. I I think there's a level of calculation. I I don't think that was the wrong decision. I think if it that, was five games left, I would completely agree with you. But not two games left when you're desperate for a win. Yeah, the the, the issue there is that they did leave it out of their control. I give you that. Yeah, but their issues really came from when I guess. Well, you mentioned it where game week 33 and 34, they had those games in the teams against the teams around them where they played Leeds and Everton back to back. Yep. They got draws out of both of them. Yeah. We thought, we said, we said at the time, well, I said at the time for sure that what they need to do in those games is not lose at a minimum. I said they need to win both. And yeah, um, they, I think, one win out of either of those, because if they'd beaten, Everton, for example, in that game that was two all, they would leapfrog Everton. Everton would be currently the team that's saying goodbye. Um, yeah, but yeah, they had too many. Oh God, they had too many run, just awful con- runs without picking up anything. Yeah, you look at game week, uh, so kind of mid February through to uh, mid March, they lost four games on the bounce. They yeah. then lost another four on the bounce in from the start of April to the to the middle of April. God, there's a lot of games back to back there. Like it's just those sorts of runs of not picking up anything that were just did them absolutely no good. I was I was gonna save this stat for later, but I think it's too good not to use now. They dropped twenty-four points from winning positions this year. So what? that is that is the second most behind Forest. I think dropped 27. Uh, and from those winning positions, they managed to lose out of nine games. They lost six of those nine games. Wow. So yeah, it, there it, it is. That, it that is just, it. It's a squad, That's why they're down. It's a squad that lacked confidence. I think it didn't help that at the start of the season, pretty much Brendan Rodgers turned around and went about his squad. He was like, oh, I would have liked to do more business. I'm not happy with this squad. So as a player, I went like, down, oh, Scott Parker route. Here's Gaffer. Fills me with loads of joy. Yeah. Um. Okay, looking at their squad then, Harvey Barnes will go easily. Um, James Madison will have suitors lined up. Then, uh, are Marty still there? Yeah. Indeed. Tiedemans, I think, has already said his goodbyes. Tiedemans, I'm pretty sure he's out of contract. So, he would, yeah. he's, I don't see him renewing. No. Um, so then... They've got a lot of they've got a lot of players that will get some good because they'll get good money for Barnes. They'll get good money for Madison easily. Um, it's just then how they spend it and whether they can build on that. They've got some good young players. Oh, Ricardo Pereira, for example, I could see him yeah. going for some good money. So they've got enough to be able to rebuild. Once again, do they re- rebuild with Dean Smith uh, in the championship? Um, and also then you've got the big dilemma of what do you do with Jamie Vardy? I think Jamie Vardy, I don't think he's cut out for an intense champion uh, championship season playing that many games. Unfortunately, uh, I just don't think he's a Premier League striker anymore. I, if he was picked up by a team to be a third or fourth choice forward, that's not a silly idea. No, I, 
saying that, I, I do think Vardy will want, being that he's a long time, um, long time Leicester servant. He's their longest serving player now, isn't he? No, yeah, I, I do left. think he'll want that one opportunity to, to try and get Leicester back up. I think he'll have that in his locker. Uh, it's just whether he's fit enough. Oh, just it's whether or not he can stay fit. Yeah, they've got um, Ian Acho as well up top. Who's their other striker? They've got another lad up there. Either way, they haven't like their main issue is they've just not scored enough goals, really, isn't it? You I know say that. that. I know they, they have scored. They have scored enough goals. They were like mid-table in terms of scores. Uh, goals scored this year. They were level with Villa. They scored what? They scored fifty-one. Wow. Okay. It's the fact that they've conceded a shit ton of goals. That's what's let them down. But I suppose it's the games where there's just lots of margins where, like, uh, nil-nil. I think it's just in-game management. Ultimately. Yeah, there's a lot of games where they lost and... by one goal. Yeah. And you kind yeah. of think if you just converted those into just one point, like, convert three of them and you're safe. And Yeah, and it's whether or not you consider that sort of just poor game, in-game management or just unlucky. Um, and I'll get on yeah, to that. Losing one nil at home to Bournemouth, losing one nil away at Southampton. Suddenly, you're looking at those and go, oh, "There's points easy to be like to be got there." Um, yeah. Well, Leicester are gone, and in but the... it just it just feels like you know we obviously we had the miracle of fifteen sixteen. They had a little bit of a poor start to the following campaign. Um, got rid of Ranieri. Shakespeare came in. And then it all sort of led up to sort of Rogers. They had the FA Cup win, and it, that team just felt it went you know, really secure. Well with it Rogers. felt secure. It felt stable. It felt as though they'd be in the Premier League for years on end. But something has just gone drastically. I drastically suppose wrong. you just wonder to take this to a dark place. What is the implication of the owner passing away, and do his successors believe in the Leicester project as much as he did? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just don't, don't know. Yeah, you just don't know, ultimately. Um, they did have, obviously, the FA Cup win after his passing. But they still had that squad there. Like, if you look at the investment this summer, yeah. it's, or this season, it's not even scratching 50 million. Yeah. It's kind of telling. There was that sort of um, bit halfway through the season where um, the owners wiped off Leicester's debt. Um, I think they were sort of, sort of scraping on the... Um, fringes of financial fair play but is that the sort of debt though that they owe that they're owed so like for example golden sullivan loaned yeah. west ham loads of money so west ham were paying effectively the payments back to the golden sullivan with interest yeah so i do get like it's just moving money around to an extent isn't it um yeah but no um well we've said goodbye to southampton leeds and leicester well tom we've mentioned burnley and sheffield united but we've got a new member of the other four team joining us we do next indeed. season. Rather than just a yo-yo team, we're bored of you, Norwich. We're bored of you, Watford. We're bored of you, West Brom. Instead, we have Luton Town, a town that the is most, are coming up. The town that is most famous for having a London airport. A town that not that long ago had their club in the National League. They have gone through over the last few years an incredible transformation. For them to now be in the Premier League must be absolutely mad for the fans of Luton. Yep, uh, the last uh, the last 
time up in the top flight was in 91-92. So it has been in excess of 30 plus years. 91-92. Um, so they haven't been in the Premier League as such since the inception no, of the Premier League. This wow. is their inaugural Premier League uh, inaugural Premier League campaign for next year. Um, but no, it'll be interesting to see. Um, obviously, the um, the sort of big talk um, since there's... Um, Sorry, the big talk since they won the penalty shootout against um, who was it again? It was Coventry City. Yes, obviously, yeah, the big win um, in the playoff final against Coventry City. The big talk after that has been obviously the Kenilworth Road ground and the fact that it is very much in and amongst sort of very much you know townhouses and you have to go to walk through basically someone's living room or something like that to, to get to access the ground. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, it's a, a very old fashioned ground, Kenilworth Road it is very much, you know, you, old you say old fashioned, it is, but it goes through people's back gardens. It goes under houses. Like It's got a, it's got a quirkiness to it. Like, and there's like going to be a lot of teams that's going to absolutely hate going there. And I'm all for it. Yeah. What, like it's to have the likes of, and let, let, let's put it out there. Arsenal are typically seen as a whole. I know they've had parts of the season where they've been not like this. Do you largely consider Arsenal a soft touch? But could yep. you imagine being an international player from, I don't know, Spain, Brazil, Italy, being signed for Arsenal, and then you're going away to Kenilworth Road? You're you're sold on the highs of the Premier League, the absolute wonders and yep. the glory, and then you, in the nicest way possible. I know they're doing a lot of re- they're having to force through a lot of refurb work to get it up to standard. Yeah, it seems like it'd be a great place for an, an away day as a fan, but man, it's it's a grim stadium. Yeah, I mean, you know, not to be around the bush, but th- th- there's work to be done. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, like you said, you know, the likes of Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola. Uh, Poch, you know, Mauricio Pochettino walking through someone's sort of, uh, you know, through through the houses to try and get to Kenilworth Road. It's going to be a sight to see next year, uh, and one I'm absolutely looking forward to. Oh, I absolutely love that they're up. I love that we've got a new team. Um, it'll just be interesting to see what, like, I know not much at all about Luton and their style of play, but I'm really intrigued to just have a new team that brings a new dynamic to the Premier League. Um, and it's then history in the making, isn't it? It's not just a, oh, yeah. we've got Watford doing another yo-yo. It's for these fans, they're going to have an absolute wild ride. Um, yeah, it'd be like when Huddersfield came up, or it'd be or, like when Bournemouth came up for the first Blackpool. time. When Blackpool exactly. came up, like hopefully it won't be a one season wonder like Blackpool or like only two seasons like Huddersfield. Um, because I would like six teams to get relegated more than I would any member of the other 14. Of course, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for this kind of team coming into the Premier League, showing people almost like it's a weird thing, but like. That kind of ground, that kind of atmosphere, it's it's British football, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, if you're going there in February midweek, you are going to have one hell of a time. So, oh um, yeah, I love I love that they're up. No, I've got nothing against Coventry, not in the slightest. Um, they did extremely well to get to the playoffs. They, yeah, were. I mean, they're two teams at, that were trending up in the right direction. I was going to say both, it's both unfortunate. of them were doing well at. Um, and like say halfway through the season, they were both dreadful, and they were able to turn it round and come back so strong. Um, it's phenomenal. 
And also with uh, with Luton being promoted, uh, we can't not mention uh, our favourite manager of the season, Tom, and how in theory he could have been coming up with. Could you the... imagine Nathan Jones in Nathan the Premier Jones League? Luton. Luton. Yeah. The thing is, if Nathan Jones had got Luton promoted and they won, like say the first, two of their first three games, everyone yeah. would be going mad about this new up and coming manager, um, Nathan Jones. But instead, he went to Southampton, did an absolute. Rubbish job, and yeah. got sacked very quickly. And he said he's going down as one of the worst managers in Premier League history. Uh, you know what? I think had I, I there was part of me think I, I think I think I, I still think Nathan Jones might have done something with with Luton to try and get him up the following season because I think he did get him into the playoffs last year. Um, so he might have very well. But they were doing up, that well before because he, got he was sacked. still very much. Because he was still very but, much sorry, before in, he left. Sorry, he yeah, get a I was still doing, yeah, still doing well. Um, if he bought up Luton, I still he might have done well because he wouldn't have gone down the whole weird route of you know giving up his ways or whatever nonsense that he came out with, sort of you know t- twelve weeks into his sort of time at Southampton or whatever. Um, I th- I still think he would have done, but I mean that's that's more that's down to a fairy tale now. It's down to Rob Edwards and his and his squad. Um, obviously we've got to make a little bit of a side note for Tom Lockyer who collapsed during the um, playoff final. So best wishes to him. Hope he makes a full recovery. But he looks like he's going to become on. He's going to get on the mend and return um, return to Luton and take them out for their first uh, Premier League outing. We will wait to see what the fixtures um, show. Um, come what. Like July, normally the fixtures come out. Yeah. Um, um, so it was um, Nathan Jones was in charge for match day twenty, which was a uh, the final game that he was there at Luton was a one nil loss away at Blackpool, which left them t- uh, left them. Oh no, a one nil win. Sorry, away at Blackpool. Yeah, left them tenth in the table. Then Rob Edwards, by the time he took over, they had slipped a couple of places, but he effectively took them from 12th into the playoffs and then held third in the table for the final like six game weeks, which is a tremendous job um, in such a competitive league. So I'm really excited to see what Rob Edwards brings to the table and to the league. And um, all I can say is uh, Luton fans, um, welcome to the other 14. We look forward to having you. Tom, the Premier League may be done, but the season is not quite done yet. Um, Obviously, we do have an FA Cup final. Brighton didn't make it, even though they really should have. But we still have one member of the other 14 with an important game left. Um, West Ham United, you've mentioned, next Wednesday, Europa Conference League in Prague against Fiorentina. Um, this for them is pretty much the salvage of the season, right? A disappointing season where they have finished um, 14th, scrapes the 40-point mark. Everything now just boils down to how they do in this game. Yeah, ultimately, I think this is where West Ham saved their season. This is ultimately what it's boiled down to. They've had poor form in the league, but you can sort of push that aside and say, well, we're doing well in the Europa Conference League. You know, we won all of our games in the groups. We've gone through the knockout stages in near enough flawless fashion. I don't think you lost a game at all during the knockouts, did you? 
Um, no, we, um, we uh, unbeaten throughout the competition, we drew one game. And exactly. that was our game. Um, what did it was we, not, no, it we was lost, Sorry, we, we lost... You, you drew the opening game, didn't you, against Alkmaar? We might have drawn another game as well. There might be two games we drew. I can't remember. Um, we might have um, drawn against Bruges. Do, I don't even think we played Bruges. I can't remember West Ham's... You can't, you can't remember your run? I went to all the home games. Uh, Call yourself a West Ham fan. So their run, West Ham, here we go. So West Ham, Europa Conference League. So they had, um, I, do, 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 sorry. Um, so once they got through the group stages, they then um, knock out the first, um, they beat Larnaca 2-0 away and 4-0 at home. They then played Ghent, Ghent, sorry. They've, Ghent, I, knew, I knew it was Belgian. They drew one yeah. all away and won four one at home, and then at Alkmaar they um, they won two one at home, and then that Pablo Fornells goal in right at the death to see oh, them was... win that. Yeah, I've yeah, it was again, that. yeah. Um, okay, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. I so ultimately... they draw, they've drawn one game. Yeah. Uh, no, or did they draw? What did they draw a group game as well? Either way, they're pretty. They, they yeah. are unbeaten at this point in this tournament. Yeah. But, but like but, I said, I think ultimately it does boil down to this is this is their season in one game. If they go on to lose this game, then it will be all for nothing. You know that that wasted Premier League season will be all for nothing, and there'll be no more Europe next season, and it'll just be like, what was the point? And I think that ultimately will decide whether or not Moyes stays on. Is is the is the destination really the most important part don't of the journey or is it a journey itself? No, don't get no, don't get philosophical with me. All I'm saying I, is, no no you you are right. West Ham yeah. fans at the start of the season would have gone we want a t- another taste of qualifying for Europe again. That would mean we want to finish 7th or above. They spent money fantastic. Didn't work out for them. So you're right in that. If they're to qualify for Europe, they need to win this game, which will make this game a season a success. All I'm saying is those away experiences and making it to a European final, I think is impressive in itself and really good going. And as much as, yes, the pressure is on David Moyes, the pressure is on the players, they need to win this. But Two seasons of European football back to back West Ham have had. Two good where they've made a semi-final and a final. Yeah. West Ham have never had that sort of European form in their history. Are the fans not a little bit spoiled now that they've got to a point where they're demanding? They are demanding that their players, they're demanding that their team, they're demanding that their manager wins a final, which is one game. 90 minutes, maybe plus a little bit. I just think to be in a position where suddenly you're demanding that you win a trophy like that really is, I just think it screams a bit of entitlement. Does it though? I mean, of course you, of course you want there, to there, win there, the There's a difference between sure going, I, the there's a difference between me coming on, on, on here and going, I really want West Ham to win this final. I think West Ham will do well. Uh, I, I think that like their squad, I think, is pretty good. I, I have high hopes for it. There's a difference between that and going, West Ham are shit if they don't win this. And that is effectively what a lot of fans are screaming at, going, they, like, they turn around going, 
well, if David if David Moyes wins this, we'll keep him. If we lose, well, I'm sorry, but you're then just turning around going, you're putting a manager's career onto one game, which, in theory, if you're going to sack him if you lose this final, you should sack him if you win. That shouldn't change your opinion of the man, because I don't think 90 minutes in football should determine whether you are in a job or not. No, no, I, I, I personally don't want to see Moyes go. Um, come, you know, whatever the result is in, in Prague. I, I'm, ju- I'm just saying, I, I think it, it would just be a complete waste of a season going through all that you have done in the league, you know, scraping sort of I, the barrel I, of potential I get, relegation I get that. fodder. But I also don't think that the European campaign has had that much of an impact on the league. I just think West Ham have been... Not? I just think West Ham have been crap in the league. I think it's really easy to go... Oh, there's so many fixtures. Oh, you know, but to be honest, early uh, group stage where it's m- one of the most congested, there was a lot of squad rotation. Very rare, like there were easily seven, eight changes a game between league and uh, between league and Europe. I just think we have been more successful in Europe because the quality of the football is poorer, yeah. and we have been able to get away with a lower standard of football. And up until this point and this part of the season, it just hasn't clicked for West Ham. Yeah. Some games this season, towards the trail end, it has clicked for West Ham. I'm looking at beating Bournemouth 4-0. I'm talking about beating Man U 1-0 and beating Leeds 3-1. And those European results, it has started to click. But up until that point, they were just poor. It's very easy to blame blame Europe. But I think largely West Ham having a poor Premier League season was down to an element of pressure on Moyes to change the way that the style of football we played. So for large parts of the start of the season, we tried a five at the back. It didn't work. It didn't play out. It didn't suit our play- most of our players. And then there was the pressure of having all these new signings who were brought in for potentially a five at the back system that then wasn't successful with the rest of the team. But ultimately, the Moyes the, re- the reason is the reason the reason West Ham have had a bad season. What is they bought in too many players. I would say they've almost bought too many players and it didn't click for them. They were try- trying to implement too many systems in the season. and Or they're trying to implement a new system in the season which just didn't agree with a lot of the players. And it's so easy to blame Europe and say, oh, you've thrown away the season, if nothing. Yes, admittedly, if you come out of this season not having anything, you turn around and go, it has been a poor season for West Ham. Um. But I don't think winning a European trophy, net do, it doesn't change the Premier League season. It doesn't change how West Ham fans should feel about that part of the season. I just know that you've got to celebrate the fact that if they do win this, it is great for the club, their first European success in ages. But I don't think you can necessarily forget how dreadful the league has been. No, no, I, 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 I do get that. I, I just think, you know, I, I, I would still view this as, as a failure of a season. Um, if... Oh, it's such a don't... strong word. It is we're, we're, because we are that, just that's, we are that's just how... talking true, but we are talking about a season where Leicester have just got relegated for like gone from eighth to relegation. Talking about a season where Southampton picked up about two points. Oh, yeah, but the trouble is now you're now find yourselves in a position where you are okay minus sort of five game weeks who are in that relegation battle. There is teams now ahead of you in the league. But I would so say very, very much the, well be in that same position next year. 
they I firstly I don't think West Ham will because I think there's teams that are overinflated in their position um without as good a squads that um have been able to get away with things. But looking at West Ham, looking at the players they brought in, where I think some of the issues have been was bringing in too many players. Was bringing in so many players. Lucas Pakatar has absolutely transformed. He started to play it, be a really good footballer. When he first came in, just because he was adjusting to uh, adjusting to English football, wasn't that great. Is now good. Is now I'd say one of the better players in West Ham's lineup. Um, then. Nyef Aguard came in, got injured in pre-season away at Ipswich or something, then didn't play until after the World Cup, where he had a phenomenal World Cup with Morocco, came back mm. injured, and then has established himself as a uh, first-choice centre-back. Um, the other players we saw, Maxwell Cornet, injured. He had one point where they had a calf injury, which they couldn't diagnose. Hopefully that all gets sorted out. Uh, Jean-Luc um, whether he stays or not is another matter. But he was brought in um, knee injury after knee injury. Then I'm looking at like the likes of Emerson. Has had a bit of an impact. He's been okay, nothing great. Um, Flynn Downs has been okay, nothing great. But they can work with that. It's a squad where at this point, regardless of if they win this um, trophy or not, they will on the whole be on the up, apart from the massive hole that they'll have in the centre of the park. But yeah. I think... I think still, if you had to turn around to West Ham fans at the start of the season and say you will get to a European final and stay in the Premier League, I don't. I, I think I would have taken that at the start of the season. I think one hundred percent of us. So I don't think even if you lose the final is a failure. It's not success though, is it? No, I would. No, it's not. Yeah, fair point, but I don't think I don't think everything is necessarily black or white, a success no. or a failure. It can just be the only thing. The only thing can, I would say it can just be an air season. Look at yeah, it can be a mess season. You can have mess seasons. So many other teams in the Premier League. I know. Air seasons. Um, it's not as black and white as that. I get that. Like, um, the only thing I would say is if West Ham were to lose the final, obviously you would lose Declan Rice. When that that seems more enough a guarantee Rice now. He's, he's going. Um, I'm so certain. He's is gone. there a number of players in that West Ham side that might think, "Oh, we didn't do well in the league last year, and we don't have European football next year. We'll be we'll be our prima donna selves and sort of think, I want it out." Um, no, because I think they're probably on better. Well, they've not been played well enough in the season to get um to get a move to necessarily Premier yeah. League teams, and also going out of the Premier League players effectively do trap themselves a little bit by. By going to teams that aren't the big teams in the Premier League, um, yeah, that they do trap themselves a little bit because they're going to get Premier League salaries that then teams of a similar level or slightly higher in on the continent just can't compete. Like realistically, looking at the teams that aren't like the league champions across Europe, but say like um, I don't know where they finished this season, but like a Lyon, a Marseille, um, a Roma, um, a um, Leipzig um in Spain you've got like um Villarreal Valencia obviously Valencia did win the Europa League last night but you've got a lot of teams at that sort of level which are playing salaries so much shorter than Premier League salaries because they cannot compete so if the likes of Lucas Pacatar went oh I want I want a move away I don't think there'll be loads of teams in the Premier League queuing up to get him 
And I don't think there'll be loads of teams in the continent who will get him, who will pay him the salary that he is at West Ham. So I think to an extent, if they want to turn their heads slightly, they're not going to get anywhere. They can't go anywhere with it. Um, No. But but let's not be, let's just be positive. West Ham have a European final. David Moyes has a final. David Moyes is his chance to win his first bit of real silverware, which I think, I think I potentially might be more happy for David Moyes than I would be for West Ham. And that's weird as a West Ham fan to say that. But I I think I would be happier seeing David Moyes' little ginger Scottish smile lift the trophy than I would see Declan Rice lift it. And I'm in love with that man as well. So no, that's fair. It's a so great opportunity all... um, for another, well, it would be potentially two European trophies for the Premier League, possibly. Um, exactly, but, and that yeah. all gets going on Wednesday, the seventh of June. It's an eight o'clock kickoff in Prague, Fiorentina, West Ham United. It's on BT Sports, but you can also and watch it through YouTube. Free stream on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll probably we're not be, paying for saying this either, but I'll probably be in a pub in East London getting very drunk while watching the game. So, hooray me! Tom, throughout this season, you have well and truly established yourself as the stato of the podcast. So, to celebrate game week 38 of Premier League, over to you for Stats Corner. And welcome to Stats Corner. Welcome back all to another edition of Stats Corner. The feature where I find Premier League other 14 stats you never knew existed, briefly show interest in, and then immediately regret having them play out at the forefront of your mind for weeks on end. And this is it for this season. The curtain's drawn, the teams have taken their final bow and are off to the after party. As we've already discussed so far in the episode, we have lost Leicester, Leeds and Southampton from our other 14 contingent. And it's Leicester I want to pay particular attention to in this week's feature. But I'm not going to lie, I mentioned last week that I had something in store for Stats Corner. However, I was chancing it a little bit as it relied on Leicester to be relegated to, to come to uh, to fruition. So apologies, Leicester fans, but this wouldn't have existed without your misfortune. Plus, I think it's the second time a Stats Corner feature has involved the Foxes with regards to how dreadful a season they've had. So again, apologies for that. Anyway, down to it. Sorry. Anyways, down to it. So last week, looking at all the permutations with regards to the relegation battle, one thing I noted was Leicester's goal difference. And at the time, it was at minus 18, which in my head, I thought was particularly low, especially considering there's the likes of Wolves, Bournemouth, who we've considered safe now for a while, sitting on goal differences of minus 27 and minus 34, respectively. And obviously with the win over West Ham on Sunday in the final game week, which unfortunately wasn't uh, wasn't enough for the Foxes to stay up, Leicester's goal difference actually improved to minus 17. So it got me thinking, and ultimately led down a rabbit hole, historically, what has been the average goal difference for relegated sides, and do Leicester consider themselves to be on the unlucky side of history? Ooh. And the answer to that is yes, very much so. I was going to say, I couldn't... I can pick out some teams that were chronic conceders of goals and therefore would skew obviously skew this but yeah i no no there were some bad seasons that were like horrendous sort of goal differences um but 
since the Premier League started back in 1992, we've had a grand total of 94 teams that have been relegated to the Championship. The average goal difference of those teams that have been that have gone down is a negative 30.8. So clearly the Foxes, with their minus 17... Um, you, you, you can't have 0.8 of a goal. You, oh, do you want me to round it up then? Do you want me to say minus 31? I'm just winding you up. I'm leaving this in. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's fine. Um, so clearly the Foxes have been performing better than average in terms of goal difference with their minus 17. And in the history of teams relegated from the Premier League, only five teams have been relegated with a better goal difference out of those 94 in total. So we have Birmingham in 07-08. They were relegated with a goal difference of minus 16. Charlton went down in 98-99 with negative 15. They're a rubbish Black- team, though. Oh, horrendous. Blackburn in the very same season had a goal difference of minus 14. Crystal Palace were relegated in the very first Premier League season, 92-93, for those who can't remember, with a goal difference of minus 13. And Middlesbrough, in 1996-97, were relegated with the best ever goal difference of minus 9. Minus 9? Minus 9. That's a travesty that they that. got relegated. Um, um, I suppose some tra- of those as well were off of um, when the league had more than 20 teams in as well, some of those early ones. Uh, the only one would, that would have affected that would have been the Alice. Crystal Palace one in 1993. And what was their goal difference, sorry? Uh, that was a minus 13 goal difference. Wow. And to go off track slightly, I know we were bigging up the relegation battle, um, like a, a relegation battle for the ages this year. Just have a look at that 96-97 league table. Just the three points separating 13th and 19th and eight points separating ninth and 19th. Sorry, I'm having a look now. This, Which is absolutely nuts. And also goes to show that my, uh, that 40 points doesn't keep you safe in a 38-game league season. Wow, that is so close. I, I wonder how many were, depending on the fixtures, how many could have been relegated in... How many could have been relegated in that season, like in that final game week, depending on head yeah, to head? It would have been interesting to see sort of how the table was sort of shaping up in those sort of final right, if weeks. If you look of at season. like established teams, like Everton and West Ham, they're both surviving, scraping through on 42 points. Mm. It could have been very easy curtains for uh, Everton very early on in terms of um, now they're an ever present. Um, yeah, now celebrating their 70th year in the top flight. Wow. Um, but going back to Leicester, um, what's so spooky is uh, that the last time they were relegated from the Premier League, they had exactly the same goal difference at minus 17. What's also put in Leicester on the unlucky side of history is that of all the relegated teams that I mentioned who had better goal difference, Leicester of this year had the best return of goals scored with 51, um, of which you had, I think, uh, where was it? So... Brum got 46 goals scored, Charlton scored 41, Blackburn scored uh, 38, Palace scored 48, and Borough scored 51 as well, uh, so we're level with Leicester. Um, but I guess um, what's then what's been made clear to see, and I've mentioned this already in the episode, is how much their leaky defence has let them down, as with 51 goals scored, is ranked 10th best this season. They're actually level with Villa, who will be enjoying some European adventures next year. But as I said, with 68 goals conceded, you can't have that sort of defence and expect to not be in trouble come the season end. Only Bournemouth, Leeds and Southampton have conceded more. 
and that leaky defence has led to what's been a big issue for Leicester all season, uh, all season long, and that is the amount of points dropped for winning positions. I've already mentioned it once in this episode. Leicester have dropped a total of 24 points from nine games they were ahead in. That's three draws and six defeats. So I can list them out. So we've got Leicester versus Brentford. Leicester in a two-goal two goal lead. That ended up 2-0. Uh, Leicester were 1-0 up against Southampton. That ended up in a 2-1 defeat. They were 1-0 up against Brighton. They lost 5-2. They were 1-0 up against Spurs. They lost 6-2. 1-0 up against Bournemouth, they lost 2-1. 1-0 up against Liverpool, lost 2-1. Uh, 2-1 ahead against Brighton, they drew to all. Crystal Palace versus Leicester, that was a 1-0 lead at the time. They then went on to lose 2-1. And then uh, not too long ago, Leicester were 2-1 up against Everton and then ultimately drew to all. So I guess goal difference can tell one side of the story and that Leicester have been unfortunate historically to have one of the better ones to go down with. Ultimately, defensively, it's been a tale of woe for Leicester and their in-game management has been the thing that has let them down this season. As I mentioned, six losses from winning positions is the worst in the Premier this season and it will be championship football for the Foxes next season. But from me, that about wraps up this week's feature. Hope you've all taken something from it. This has been Stats Corner. Tom, thank you very much for that Stats Corner. Uh... Yeah, well, the Foxes did know how to uh, put it in, but obviously couldn't keep it Couldn't keep it out. out. It's almost like there was a keeper on the south coast of France who was just begging to be re-included. Sounds really bad, but I bet he's having a fucking great time on the south of France, just being like... Just living it up. Uh, Apparently, yeah, well, bless him. Enough of the doom and gloom of relegation. Tom... For the final week of the season, can you tell me what goals really got your gonads going in goal of the week? Goal of the week. So, for the final time this year, we have a shortlist that I've come up with um, after going through all 10 games of that last Sunday of match week 38. So let's start from the beginning. So in the all-important Leicester versus West Ham game, I've got Harvey Barnes's uh, goal against West Ham. It was a perfectly played one-two, and then Barnes finishes it off well. Um, obviously puts Leicester in a decent position and up. I think was that uh, then. I think that was the first goal of that game, wasn't it? Yeah, the first. Goal it was the, the first goal. Yeah. Um, so obviously puts Leicester fans in a position where they're thinking they're going to be safe. Um, ultimately, it didn't turn out too well as we've already discussed, but. A good finish nonetheless. Then into the madness that was going down on the south coast, I've got Suleiman's second against Liverpool, uh, of which was a run from his own half through the Liverpool defence and then fires into the bottom corner. Um, so a nice little finish from him. Uh, where's he been all season? He scored two goals in that game. Um, but like I said, very much a... Yeah, like, he sounds contest. really bad. But who is he? Who is that yeah. lad? That turns <laughs> up for the final game of the season. Yeah. And, like, that's outrageous. Um, and then we go to Villa Park. We've got uh, Undav, who's been on a pretty good run of form for, for Brighton um, this year. Um, controls it in, yeah, controls it from a free kick, uh, sort of around his shoulders, and then volleys past uh, Martinez. Uh, I think that was a very good goal from that, him, yeah. 
2-1, I think. Um, but ultimately, goal scored uh, in a game that Brian ultimately lost. So he'll be on the shortlist, but unfortunately, we will not be winning this week. And then I've got Jack Harrison's versus Spurs. He was sort of forced away from goal front by the defenders, uh, but then fires low into the far corner um, to give Leeds, well, there wasn't really any sort of hope in that game. It was more sort of a last-minute consolation. Um, ultimately, Leeds were down. Well, whilst we, we mentioned for other teams about who's going to get um, who's going to get picked up by from teams that are relegated, I could see Jack Harrison getting a contract with a Premier League team very, very easily after this season because he's been absolutely phenomenal. For he's been one of the standouts for Leeds. He, he has been one of the very few standouts for that yeah. uh, for that pretty woeful Leeds side. Um, and then I think probably making his first appearance on goals of the week, considering how he normally scores his goals, is uh, Tawa Awanyi, um versus um, Crystal Palace. Yeah, I don't think he's ever scored. Uh, he's a always goal scored that looks as pretty as goals. this week. Yeah, yeah. normally comes off his um, arse or shin or elbow or uh, or defenders. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, it was a beautiful ball from Morgan White, who I think has been actually, you know. The price tag is starting to sort of pays pays worth in gold, pays weight in gold now. I think um, he's starting to have a real good impact at Forest. But anyway, yeah, lovely ball from Morgan Gibbs White. Uh, one you sort of feels though he's wasted the one one on one opportunity by sort of taking so many sort of touches and twists and turns, but he does eventually find himself a little bit of space and just ruffles it home. So a lovely little finish from him and a good link up play with Morgan Gibbs White. Uh, and then finally, I've got uh, Abdullah Decore's. Uh, winning goal for Everton against Bournemouth, a goal that keeps them safe, nodded down from a lobbed ball into the into the box, uh, finds Decore on the edge of the area, who then strikes it home, and yet, like I said, ultimately keeps Everton safe. Absolute scenes. It's a, it's a great, it's a sweet hit on the half volley in a game where, particularly Everton, um, had so many opportunities. The uh, the Bournemouth keeper. Um, did a very a good job game. of keeping him out. He he made some absolutely outstanding uh, saves, but yeah, that Decore half volley from the edge of the box was just yeah. too much to handle. Like yeah, a real yeah, a real great strike. Uh, one yeah. that a sort of strike that causes pitch invasions for no reason. Exactly. It's almost like you just like you're celebrating staying up. You know, you're celebrating sort of weakness. Um, but anyway. Yeah, we've got to choose a winner now. Well, I've got to choose a winner. You do have to choose a winner because um, it's not for the final time. It's the one the part of the show where I don't do any work. Exactly. Final time this year. Um, ultimately, I think there's only going to be one, going to be one winner. Um, it's Abdullah Decore's strike against Bournemouth, just because. Yeah, it's a it's a great strike. It's sort of aesthetically pleasing, but also what it means as well is it's kept Everton up. It's the goal that seals their sort of Premier League status. Um, and it's a goal that seals Abdullah Corey's uh, goal of the week uh, award for game week 38. Well, well done, Abdullah Decorey. Um, next week's pod, we will be looking at all our goal of the week winners. And Tom will a list. Tom will have to come up with a goal of the season. Um, you have been keeping note of them, haven't you? Because <laughs> I haven't. Yeah, someone's got to. Yeah. Anyway, now for the final time, Tom. It has been a titanic battle between two extraordinary gladiatorial contenders. I'm, of course, talking about 
the Fab Four predictions game. Going into yes. this week, Tom, you were on 57 points and I was on 63, meaning you had to beat me by six points or more to become the Fab Four champion. Let's go straight into it. Villa Brighton, there was some hope for you. You predicted 2-1. You got it spot on. It's 2-1 Villa. There you go. Three points. That narrowed the gap to just that narrowed the gap to just three points. Everton v Bournemouth. Oh dear. Both of us thought that Everton were going to lose. I went 2-0 for Bournemouth. You put 2-1 Bournemouth. Nothing there. Crystal Palace v Forest. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we both went for outrageous goal fest. I went for a 4-2. You went for a 3-3. You got the draw correct. You snatched a point. So it was sitting at 61-63. You were two points behind Tom. All it relied on was Leicester v West Ham for you to predict that score spot on and you would be the Fab Four I generally can't remember what I put down for this but I don't think it's going to be good Tom what was the score? It was Leicester 2, West Ham 1 You put down 2 Oh no Neil to West Ham (laughs) Uh, you got zero points from that. I put three to Leicester, giving myself a point. And therefore, with our inaugural season of the Fab Four predictions uh, games, I, Tom, am the champion. I am the victor with 64 points to 61. I am the best I'm, yeah, predictor can, can, on this podcast. Yeah, for this year. Um, no, congratulations. I... To be fair, watching all the games unfold, I was sort of thinking about my Fab Four. As, and as per usual, I completely forget what I've put down. And I, I was I thinking, there's no... afternoon where I had a look to do this. There bit. was absolutely no way that I've got close with my predictions because I just knew from last week that I'd just put something completely outlandish. And I was thinking, I'm going to be nowhere near. But the fact that I did actually claw it back somewhat considerably... You got it within I'm, three points. Like, I'm you, happy you with myself for that. Like, there were points of the season where you were much further behind than you yeah. are. Um, and to finish only three points behind, I think, is a very, very good effort. So, well done you for clawing it back. No, but congratulations. But like, as much as I can congratulate you on second place and last, there is no way that I can take away from my formidable brilliance. I am modest in losing and I am not in winning. So, 100%. I am lifting an imaginary trophy above my head now. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Until we get someone to sponsor the pod who can actually sort of provide us with said trophy. If you if you run a small business or a big business, or you know you've just got some spare cash down the back of your like sofa, a, a silver and, merchant. Just want, and yeah, a silver and merchant. you want to sponsor the Fab Four Prediction Games, we are up for all sorts of sponsorships. We are prepared to sell out harder than the Carabao Cup. So do get in contact with the other 14 pod at gmail.com and you could have your business, individual, or just a funny name read out every week 
for this competition next season. Um, Tom, we, of course, will be running the Fab Four next season. Um, in yes. the meantime, thank you for being a great contender on the Fab Four. Um, I very much uh, needed that push all the way through the season. Um, and you know what? It was closer than I thought it was going to be. It was a close run thing. And no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that um, I'm happy that he got pretty much to the, even though it's near enough a, a done thing for yourself. Um, I'm happy that I ran it close, um, but no, good contest. Uh, we go, we go again, as Stephen Gerrard said, ultimately to to slip, and we do not slip. Yeah, we do not, we do not let it slip. Anyway, so, of course, then all listeners, to find out how the next season's Fab Four contest goes, obviously the only place you can find it here is on the other fourteen podcast. And with that, Tom, we are at the end of this episode of the other 14 podcast um thank you for joining me on this week's episode and you're more than welcome and thank you to everyone for downloading and listening next week we will be doing our wrap-up of the premier league season um no it won't involve us doing any wrapping ourselves but we will be breaking down the best goals the biggest shocks and the best stories of the premier league Little, 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 little team of the season most certainly I, you, um yeah there will be certainly some end of season awards um and you know what maybe team of the season might come out a little bit after some supplementary content but so do join us next week for the wrap-up of the other 14 premier league season Please subscribe to us and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, do recommend us to your friends, family and other 14 fans. So, it is goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. And we will see you next week on the other 14 podcast. <laughs>